0: This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. So this morning we are continuing our message series on forgiveness, and last week we started by talking about how we can forgive too soon, the importance of being able to acknowledge pain, to acknowledge what was done to us, to be able to assess, if you will, the collateral damage. And uh, before we're... Uh, able to move on to forgiveness, there has to be this sense of, wow, you know, this wasn't right. And so uh, today what we're doing is we're moving on toward the benefits of forgiveness, recognizing that it's not easy, uh, recognizing that we may not be ready to forgive, but talking about uh, the value of forgiveness. And we start today by looking at this prayer that's a psalm 32. Now, tradition says that King David wrote this prayer, and King David was a guy that needed a lot of forgiveness in his life, and he also had a lot of people to forgive. And so, this particular prayer that we're going to read responsibly, and I'm uh, responsibly, and I'm going to ask you to uh, to read this prayer with me uh, as we interchange it verse by verse. And that's there we go. I'll read the dimmer portion. And I'm going to invite you to read the the bolder portion of this prayer as uh, the person is wrestling with the struggle of needing forgiveness in his own life. Blessed are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed are those whom the Lord does not hold guilty, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I did not declare my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. I I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. Therefore, let those who are godly offer prayer to you. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You encompass me with deliverance. Do not be like an unruly horse or a mule without understanding, whose temper must be curbed with bit and bridle. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. And so here we have this struggle, this honest confession, this need of forgiveness. Did you notice the verses in verses 3 and 4 as David says these words? While I kept silence. So, while I keep it all inside of me. My body wasted away. Uh, through my groaning all day long. You ever go through the day just kind of groaning <laughs> and moaning and you know, we can kind of go through life that way. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. The spirit of unforgiveness, heavy on me. Uh, What I've done to other people, heavy on me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Think about uh, the benefit of forgiveness. Scientific studies tell us that uh, depression goes down and our anger is reduced or it's redirected in positive ways our our health problems and issues are reduced when we're living in the practice of forgiveness hope goes up energy goes up spiritual vitality our emotional frame of reference and mind increases When we're able to live in a spirit of forgiveness. And so the person that benefits the most or first from forgiveness is the person that makes the first move. Whether you're the person that needs forgiveness or whether you're the person that needs to offer forgiveness, the person that benefits the most and first in forgiveness is always the person that makes the first move. So of us alive don't need at times to make the first move are you ready are you willing to do this well how does it happen especially when you don't feel forgiving see that's one of the things about forgiveness is that uh you know forgiveness doesn't always end in a hug it doesn't always end that pretty it doesn't mean to start with that we have these warm fuzzy feelings nor does it mean that we will automatically end up there it doesn't always work that way but forgiveness is a choice it's a decision now it's not a decision to excuse the action or the inaction of what somebody may have done to us but it separates the perpetrator and the crime itself it it recognizes that uh we will never justify the action. But that doesn't require us to hold on to what was done. Now, it doesn't mean that we forgive and we forget. It doesn't mean that we forget the memory, nor should we. But what we do forget is this sense of resentment and bitterness and pain that we kind of carry around with us. We, we, We let go of that eventually. And so forgiveness is a decision, it's a choice that I make. Or to receive forgiveness. Boy, that's hard too, isn't it? To say, I am sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? So it's not easy. But it's liberating. Now, how do you get to that place? Especially if you're the one that's holding something against someone and the person isn't asking you for forgiveness. Richard Foster, in uh, his book, The Prayers of the Heart, has a couple of prayers for us we're looking at. We're looking at a couple of prayers each week. And in these prayers, uh, the first prayer is turning. And what he does in this prayer is he doesn't uh, say what we want to say necessarily, but he speaks truth. And so I have found that times when I can't pray myself, I need to pray somebody else's prayers that's written for me at this time in my life. And and this is a great turning prayer. God, I cannot separate my hatred for what was done from the person who did it. I despise the deed. I loathe the person who did the deed. My rage is my only revenge. That's the confession. But God, my rage destroys me too. I feel this seething anger searing my own soul. Oh, Lord, my God, deliver me from the evil I would do to myself. Deliver me from the evil, the hurt, the damage that I'm doing to myself. You see, if I'm holding somebody else in the prison of my heart and I'm standing guard over that prison and that prisoner, I'm tied to that. I'm just as tied to that as the person that I'm holding in prison. And so we move on to the forgiving part of the prayer. I refuse for all this evil to control me anymore. I will not be held in bondage in my hate any longer. But the strength to love is not in me. I must wait for your enabling. Now in your great power and with a trembling heart, I speak your word of forgiveness. The thing about forgiveness is it's humbling. It recognizes that uh, I don't have the strength in my, in my own self. I don't have the ability to manage my own life. I don't have the ability to manage my relationships. I don't have the ability to find mercy and forgiveness and strength on my own. And it causes me to rely on the strength of God. And it also helps me to step out of my subjectivity. Now, here's an exercise you may want to try. I did this this week. I just sat in a chair, and I've got an empty chair across from me. And uh, you know, when you do spring cleaning, sometimes you discover stuff that you've been carrying around with you longer than you think. And I recognize that I had been holding some things against this person that I haven't spoken to for over a decade. Now, if I would have just called her up and said, you know, by the way, I just want you to know I forgive you, how do you think she would have responded to that? (laughs) What? (laughs) So I sat in this chair, and I imagined her being in this chair, and I greeted her, and I spoke to her, and I said to her, you know, when you did this and this and this, that, that just hurt me a lot. That was an embarrassment. That was... That just wasn't called for, and I guess I've I've been carrying that all these years. And I said to her, "I forgive you." And we just kind of sat a while there, and I uh, I then I recognized, you know what? Maybe I wasn't a, totally an innocent party in this either, and I thought about. What it was like to be in her shoes and maybe some of the things that I had said or I had done that helped bring that on. And I found myself asking her for forgiveness too. So you're free to do that. You would find that exercise helpful to you. And before you think I'm crazy uh, in suggesting that, you know, the Psalms are filled with that kind of Dialogue where uh, there's different voices being expressed. It's okay to talk to yourself as long as you don't talk back to yourself. So you've got somebody else to talk with and and God is there. And it helps us to get out of our subjectivity and our own shoes enough to step into into the shoes of another person. So try that if you'd like. There's a... Spanish father that uh, had a falling out with his son. Paco was his name. and They had words, and Paco left home. He was angry. and After time passed, the father decided that he wanted to reach out to Paco, but he didn't know where he was. And so he took out this headline in the local newspaper that read, Paco meet me at Hotel Madrid noon Tuesday. All is forgiven. Well, on noon Tuesday what happened was there were three hundred Paco's that showed up at the hotel. Which says two things. The Paco is a very popular name in Spain. But also that there's a lot of, lot of people that need forgiveness and reconciliation. Who is a Paco in your life? Is it possible for you to make the move? Is it possible for you to seek reconciliation in a way that doesn't accuse Paco or excuse yourself, but just says, hey, you know, maybe there's a better way here. And that story reminds me of what I think is so prevalent in our culture, and that is the father wound it's not that a mother can't wound us, she certainly can, but I think many of us are carrying around in us the father wound, where a father has, has hurt us or offended us, and there's not reconciliation, and that relationship is just, if it exists at all, is contentious, and so we just kind of move away from that. We get out of that. And sometimes we have to do that. But I think the father wound is behind a lot of the pain and a lot of the hurt in our culture, more than we, could, we might imagine. What do, you, what do you do with that? Because the reality is that hurting people hurt other people. And it begins to become kind of a predictor and a generational thing. How do we get released from that pattern and that bondage? Desmond Tutu, the archbishop, tells the story of his own father wound. In an article that was written a year ago in spiritualityhealth.com, Why Forgive? And to me, it's one of the best articles you can ever read on forgiveness. If you're wanting to delve deeper with this subject today, I would encourage you to go to spiritualityhealth.com and look at the March-April edition of Why Forgive. But this is Desmond Tutu's own words about his father wound. There are so many nights when, as a young boy... I had to watch helplessly as my father verbally and physically abused my mother. I can still recall the smell of alcohol, see the fear in my mother's eyes, and feel the hopeless despair that comes when we see people we love hurting each other in incomprehensible ways. When I recall this story, I realize how difficult the process of forgiving truly is Oh, intellectually, I know my father caused pain because he was in pain. Spiritually, I know my father tells me my father, my faith tells me my father deserves to be forgiven as God forgives all. But it is still difficult. My father has long since died, but if I could speak to him today, I would want to tell him that I had forgiven him. What would I say to him? I would begin by thanking him for all the wonderful things he did for me as my father. But then I would tell him that there was one thing that hurt me very much. I would tell him how much what he did to my mother affected me, how it pained me. Perhaps he would hear me out. Perhaps he would not. But I would still forgive him since I cannot speak to him. I have had to forgive him in my heart. Why? Because I know it is the only way to heal the pain in my boyhood heart. Forgiving my father frees me. I am not the small boy cowering in the fear of his drunken rage. I have a new and different story. I have a new and different story. And that's what forgiveness does. It gives us a new and different story, a different life, a different possibility, a different way of living and seeing reality. And the truth be known, when I forgive somebody else, what begins to happen to me is I think this. Given similar circumstances, if I was in that person's shoes, I might have done the same thing. Or I might have done something worse. Because what forgiveness and mercy helps us to see is that you and I, we got great capacity to doing some really good things in this world. And you and I have got some great capacity to do a lot of harm. And except by the grace of God, go I. Louis Zamperini is a World War II hero. His story is becoming more well-known through the book Unbroken as well as the movie that came out last year. Zamperini was uh, a rotten kid, he says in his own words. He was a juvenile delinquent. He was a great runner, however, and he became Olympian champion in the 1936. Olympics in Nazi Germany and then he went to war and his plane was shot down and he was found after uh, months in a raft in the midst of the ocean by the Japanese captors and then he spent years as a POW And he suffered the tremendous atrocities of the bird. The bird was the one in charge of the prison. Actually, two different prisons that Zamperini endured. And Zamperini himself was singled out and received uh, horrific beatings and torture that is beyond the imagination of most, if not all of us in this room. And the movie tells the story when he goes home, but it ends there. But what happens to him afterwards? What happens to him is what happens to so many different people that suffer the ravages of war. He suffers from post traumatic stress syndrome, he has horrific nightmares where he wants to kill the bird. And he can't let it go. And he's not easy to live with. But then something happens to him. Forgiveness. Let's watch an interview with him. Louis Stamperini in his own words. Not long before his death last year.
1: Well, we, were, we were both scared. I, just, I, just, I couldn't figure out what was happening. But the nightmares started in prison because every day when he would punish me, I'd clench my fist. Yeah. And he knew I wanted to hit him. And he said, if I draw my sword, I must use it. So I had nightmares there all the way home. And I, there was never a night I didn't dream about getting this guy. And, uh, so, but when I woke up in a cold sweat uh, with my hand around my wife's throat, that really scared me. And of course, it scared her. <laughs> and... Uh, and then she, and we were, a young couple in the apartment came to our apartment and knocked on the door and started telling us about a young evangelist coming to L.A. And he started to quote scripture. And boy, that, that hit me. I, I said, hey, I'm out of here. And my, my wife listened. And then when Billy came, they talked her into going down with them. And she, in the meantime, she had already filed for a divorce. Yeah. And then uh, But when she came home and tried to get me to go down, I fought her. Uh, But then she said something that softened me up. She said, because of my conversion, I'm not going to get a divorce. Well, that really softened me up a bit. And so she was able to persuade me to go down here, Billy. But then again, he was quoting scripture. And that really (laughs) hit me between the eyes. And I said, I don't need anybody to tell me I'm a sinner. I know I am. (laughs) And so I got mad, pulled her on home. Uh, But uh, the next day, she's all over me again, and and I said, okay, okay, I'll go back on one condition. When he says, every head bowed and every eye closed, we're out. And so back again we went, and Billy's finishing his sermon, and I said, let's go. And then he said something like, um, when people come to the end of their rope and they have no else to turn, they turn to God. And I thought, yeah, that's what I did. And on the raft in prison camp, all the prisoners were praying about the same prayer, get me home alive to my family and I'll seek you and serve you. Well, he got me home alive and I didn't keep my promise. And that really hit me between the eyes. So instead of leaving the tent, I went back to the prayer room and made a confession of my faith in Christ.
0: So now, you wanted to kill the bird. You've made a commitment to Jesus Christ at a Billy Graham crusade. And you've been able to forgive him. So you return to Japan and and you want to actually
1: talk with him and meet him. And you actually wrote a letter to him because you were told that he was no longer alive. But you wrote a letter in hopes of meeting him. Would you read that letter to us? So, Mr. Shiro Watanabe, as a result of my prisoner of war experience under your unwanted and unreasonable punishment, my post-war life became a nightmare. It was not so much due to the pain and the suffering as it was to the tension of stress and humiliation that caused me to hate with the vengeance. Under your discipline, my rights not only as a prisoner but also as a human being were stripped from me. It was a struggle to maintain enough dignity and hope to live until the war's end. The post-war nightmares caused my life to crumble. But thanks to a confrontation with God, through the evangelist Billy Graham, I committed my life to Christ. Love replaced the hate I had for you. Christ said, forgive your enemies and pray for them. As you probably know, I returned to Japan in 1952 and was graciously allowed to address all the Japanese war criminals at Sugamo Prison. I asked them about you and was told that you probably had committed harikiri, which I was sad to hear. At that moment, like the others, I also forgave you and now would hope that you would also become a Christian.
0: So Zamparini is a hero, Sure, he's a World War II hero, but he's a hero in a different way. He's a hero in the kingdom of God. He's a hero uh, because, first of all, he's able to receive forgiveness. And he's able to receive the healing grace of God in a way that he never suffered from that traumatic syndrome ever again. And his marriage is spared... And then he goes back to Japan, not once but twice, extending forgiveness and joy to any one of his captors years before. And he's willing and wants the bird, the greatest perpetrator of the crimes of all, to experience forgiveness. He cares for him personally he cares for his welfare. He wants him to experience what he has come to know in Christ. You know, when we, we know we've gone full circle is when we freely receive and, and we're able to recognize this amazing, <laughs> wonderful grace that we've been given through Christ. And it changes us. We're, we're, we're truly free of the guilt that we've carried. In verse 5 of that psalm, David writes these words Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. It just comes clean. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. I was asking someone this morning as he came to church, How you doing? He says, I'm forgiven. That's, that's just a wonderful place to be. So this morning, I don't want this to be a, a heavy message or a, it's not a message that says, well, you know, you've got to shape up and you've got to do this real soon or real quick. Or, But but I am saying this, that we need to understand that being a Christian, that being a follower of Jesus, that being saved isn't just about ourselves. It's not just about getting a ticket to heaven. It's not about us getting forgiven, but it's about transformation. It's about reconciliation. It's, It's about this whole idea that the world needs healing. And you and I can be a part of the problem or we can be part of the solution. And we don't have the power in our own self to do this. And we are not about to change the other person. That's beyond us. God doesn't expect us to do that. But we can want that. And we can wish that. Because we've been forgiven. And we know the mercy of God. So next week. We're going to look at forgiveness one more time and we're going to talk about the different roles that we play as an accuser or as the accused or as a forgiver. In the meantime, I want to invite you to do this, this prayer on your own sometime this week if you would like and if you have someone in your life that you're struggling with to forgive. And the prayer goes, uh, it's on the front of your Pray, Study, Grow material this week. And it's an exercise where you simply come into the presence of God in a quiet place, a safe place where you're not going to be interrupted. And the centering prayer for you may be lighting a candle. It may be looking at a cross. It may be uh, just breathing a prayer, Lord, have mercy. But the centering prayer is just about us quieting down and quieting the inner racing of our hearts. You can tell how fast your heart is beating sometimes by just putting your palms on your your chest and, and breathing deeply. And as you are in the presence of God, you're going through this passageway, and the passageway is into the chambers of your own heart. You know, God is not the man upstairs. God is right here. God's up close and personal. God lives inside of us. And you go into the presence of God. And in that presence, there's light, there's power, there's mercy, there's forgiveness. And and when you're ready, you, you invite the person over with you and sit with you in the presence of God. And you say to the person what it is they did, what it is that hurts. And when you're ready, if you are, you... You say, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. And not in all cases, but in some cases, you may sit there a while where you recognize you have that place in the matter too. You uh, also have some responsibility. And you either name what you know you might have done, Or you ask the person, is there something I did that offended you, that hurt you? And you're in the presence of God and you speak to one another. And you see what occurs and what happens. And if there's something you need to ask forgiveness for, you ask, will you forgive me? And you're not rushed and you're not in a hurry and this person... You, you may converse a while longer. They may come back another time. This is an exercise you can do any time in your life. It's an exercise that isn't forced, but it's something that happens in the healing grace of God. Where, where God lives, there is no time. God is present in the past, in the present and the future. But God will deal with us only in this present moment. That's the moment we have with God. But God is not limited in time. So you're free. You're free to do that. You're free to do any exercise. It's not trickery. But anything you do that you can do to bring yourself into the presence of God and be true to yourself, to your own emotions, whatever you're carrying, acknowledging that we do not have the strength or power to do this ourselves, but to place ourselves in the presence of God and let God's mercy and forgiveness go to work. So as the band comes, we're going to invite you just to come and just be where you are and be present and prayerful for a few moments as you sit with God and go into the chambers of your heart this morning let's be still and
1: know that he is God